spend time alone with the Lord. Just sit and listen. Refresh your position that you have in Christ. We talked about the little ones. You little ones. All you need to know is that God loves you. And you can sit and think about that and be blessed. You don't have to know a lot. But just remember, he loves you, cares about you. He gave himself for you. And through him, you can be saved. Young ones, go ahead down to church, uh, down to junior church, Sunday school. It has many labels and many churches. The old hymn writers, if you spend time thinking about their lyrics, they spent a lot of time alone thinking about the Lord. That's how they came up with the verse they came up with. One of the great ones that have been a blessing to me over the years. Someday the silver cord will break and we no more as now shall sing. But oh, the joy when we awake within the palace of the king. I shall see him face to face and tell the story saved by grace. Oh, I'll see him face to face and tell the story saved by grace. Someday my earthly house will fall. I can't tell how soon it will be. But this I know. My all in all has now a place in heaven for me. I'll see him face to face and tell the story saved by grace. We miss a lot of blessing if we don't spend that time with the Lord. Just sitting with Him and enjoying Him. We're looking at grace. Paul's letter to the Ephesians. I don't know your observation, but when you first come to the first chapter of Ephesians and you start reading that and you kind of think, whoa, this is a lot to handle. What does Paul know about the Ephesians that he, that he opens his letter this way? So I went to Ephesians, uh, not Ephesians, I went to Acts and looked at what Luke had to say about these Ephesians, and we pick it up in uh, chapter 9, 19 of Ephesians. Now, I haven't picked the whole chapter, but I've picked things out so that we can understand the mind of the Ephesians and understanding how they think, understand a little bit more of what Paul is writing to them. In verse 8, we have... Rehearsing this part, and Paul entered into the synagogue and continued speaking out boldly for three months, having discussions and persuading the Ephesians about the kingdom of God. But when some were becoming hardened and disobedient, speaking evil of the way before the people, Paul withdrew himself and took the believing disciples with him and went and taught the school of Tyrannus. So now we see the conflict started. Paul has been preaching the gospel. 
And we see through this, the Ephesians resistance. They were only going to go so far with what Paul was teaching. Now they're beginning to persuade others, hey, forget about this way. This is ridiculous. This is actually against what we believe. Down in 18. So many of those who had believed kept coming, now look at this, and confessing, disclosing to Paul their practices as Ephesians. And many of those who practiced magic arts brought their books together and began burning them in the sight of everyone. And they added up to the price of those books 50,000 pieces of silver. See where they're coming from. Magic. Magic books. Learning incantations to get demons to give them what they want. That's what's being talked about here. Notice, they gave themselves, they put their hope in incantations to demons to get what they wanted from their God. These, this is what's going on in the Ephesians. So the word of God was growing and prevailing mightily. Notice the difference. There were some coming out of that into Paul's teaching, the way of Christ. Down in uh, verse 26, Demetrius speaks to a certain group of people, the artisans. You see and hear that not only the Ephesians, but almost all of Asia, this Paul is persuading them and turning them away in considerable numbers, saying that gods worked with hands or made with hands are not gods at all. Whoa. Paul was taking away their salvation, as it were. They hoped in these other gods. Their life, their society, their culture, as one whole, put their hope in these other gods. Artemis. Not only, verse 27, not only, they're putting our trade in danger. We're going to become in disreputable in these people. In the temple of Artemis, God will be counted as worthless. Look what this guy's doing. He is destroying our lives, our culture. Verse 28. When they heard this, they were filled with rage. Take their religion away, take their hope away, and they're going to be angry with you. And that's exactly what was going on here. Tell them their generational baptismal regeneration puts them in no grace whatsoever with God. Tell them what they're doing with that wafer and cup has absolutely no value whatsoever. It's useless. That's what was happening here. You've seen it. I've seen it. Talking to people about the things of God, about and you can't help but in not saying it, you're saying what you're believing isn't right. Sometimes they're polite and just walk away. Other times they get angry. 
years ago, and unfortunately I can't remember all the particulars, I had met some people, they were uh, Catholics, South American type, wonderful people, and they invited me a couple times to come to their home. They told me one day that there was a man coming to talk to him about God. Would you like to be there? Well, sure. So I went. This man came in, and we all did a casual introduction. The host of the house gave a proper introduction to this man and sat down, and he began to teach a Jehovah Witness. <laughs> I kept my mouth shut and let him go and let him go and let him go until he brought up a passage of scripture, and unfortunately, I can't remember exactly what it was. But in that passage of scripture, he was explaining to them that Jesus Christ isn't God. And his interpretation of the passage was warped. He was making say the that the passage isn't saying what it said. And so I said, excuse me, would you please explain me to us how this passage says that Christ isn't God? I, I don't see that. It says Christ is God. Well, 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 you just don't understand. I said, well, help me understand. Help us understand how that Jesus Christ isn't God. Well, you see, if you had learned, if you'd started, spent t time studying like I have, you would understand these things. I said, we want to understand. You don't want to understand. And got up and walked out. That's what's happening in Ephesus. Down at 34, we all recognize this. But then they recognize that Paul was a Jew. A single cry arose. <laughs> Great as Artemis, the God. It went on for a couple hours. Great is the God of us. Great the God of Ephesians. Great, great, great. God. In one card, this is the group that Paul has been speaking to. A society of people whose thoughts were totally ingrained on service to this God, Artemis. By serving this God, by buying the silver, by giving it to the temple, I am earning God's favor. By being these people under this God, we are blessed. And so Paul starts his letter. Ephesians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to you saints who are at Ephesus, faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. He has taken them totally away from their thought toward Artemis. Nothing over there, but here's where it is. Grace and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be God, the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us. Whoa, wait a minute. This God has blessed us, not Artemis. There's no blessing there, folks. You need to learn that. You need to get away from it. It's in God that you've been blessed. 
And then he goes on to say something even more. Who has blessed us with every spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Not on Artemis. In Christ these blessings come. Every one of them. More than you can count. And here's the killer. And just as he chose us in Christ before the foundations of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. Whoa. This totally takes their works completely away. These blessings didn't come by their works. These blessings came before you were even born, before the foundation of the world. You were blessed in Christ. The greatest tool to destroy man's works is to make him realize, to bless him with the realization that he was already blessed in Christ before the foundations of the world. That was God's plan. Now you understand. Not a works of righteousness which we have done. No. So you can see how this letter is important to the Ephesians. It's important to any religion that has hope in its practice. There is no hope there. Especially when you see it that God has already chosen to bless you apart from himself. We weren't even born when he chose to bless us in Christ. Before the foundation of the world, this happened. We find this phrase, in Christ, come up over and over again. And I think it's important. If we're going to ask people to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, <coughs> excuse me, and you will be saved, I think it's important that we present what this means to believe in him. I've used the example, some of you have heard me use it, but I think it makes us think correctly. Take that verse, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That person is out there. We don't know what their religion is. We don't know what they think. But ask them, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and I'll be saved. What have you just said? Look at it this way. Believe in Bill Schwartz and you'll be saved. Well, who's Bill Schwartz? What has he done that I should believe something about him? And saved from what? What in the world are you talking about? This is what's going through the mind of an unbeliever when we tell them to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and they'll be saved. There's an explanation needed. There's knowledge. There's context has to be given. In Christ. What do we have in Christ? With Christ, we have grace. Timothy tells us in 1.9, he gave, he gave us grace in Christ before the world began. That's one of the things we have in Christ. In Christ, we were chosen in God before the foundations of the earth. We've already read that, Ephesians 1.4. In Christ, you are loved by God with an inseparable love. Romans 8, we all know it, we quote it all the time. I am sure of this very thing, that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers 
nor principalities, nor powers of things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation is able to separate us from the love of God in Christ. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, right there you have an eternal love of God in him. In him. Not in me, not in you. In him we have this love. In Christ you are redeemed and forgiven of all your sins. Ephesians 1.7 In Christ we have redemption through his blood and the forgiveness of sins. When we say in Christ, this is what we're talking about. So sometime when we talk to somebody about believing in Christ, we have to explain ourselves, at least be able to explain what we're talking. This is what these Ephesians were getting from Paul. No, not from Artemis. From God and Christ. Before the foundation of the earth, these things were yours in Christ. In Christ you have justification before God and the righteousness of God in Christ given to you. <clears throat> Second Corinthians 5.21 For our sake God made Christ to be sin who knew no sin so that in Christ <clears throat> we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. What does that do with justifying ourselves by works? It destroys it. Takes it away. These Ephesians, this is a slap in the face. I thought I was right with God, but what I did with Artemis, my worship to her, my giving to her, my service to her, no, 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 no. You're right with God through what Christ has done. But what about my bad things? It was laid on him. He didn't sin, but God laid it on him. In Christ, we've become a new creature. We've become sons of God. Second Corinthians, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. All things pass away. Behold, all things become new. In Christ, you are made sons of God through faith. You see what Paul is doing? Taking it away from everything they believe. Take them away. And putting them in Christ. That's what we have. That's where we're sitting right now. This is why I say we are in grace. It envelops us. It's us. It's what God has determined for us. He chose us in him, back to Ephesians 1, verse 4, to be holy and blameless before him. Holy, set apart, sanctified ones. It was done in Christ before the world began. We hope it becomes a reality as in our walk with Christ. But in God's mind, it's done. 
We were separated in Christ before the world began. Separated from the other into God's grace before the world began. I love this one. And we are, verse 4, blameless before him in love. Blameless before him in love. This is what we have in Christ. Fascinating. This word blameless. Without blemish. Free of faultiness. We're told in Ephesians 5, later on, Paul clarifies it even more, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless before him in love. That's what we have in Christ. That's what the church is to be, in Christ. No, not of works of our hands. We don't work to get this. This is our position. This is what God gave us by grace in Christ before the foundation of the world. (laughs) Stop trying to be this. Just be it. We are already in God's mind. It says that we are blameless before him. This before is an interesting phrase. I'll read it because they said it better than I can give it to you. Before him. Right there, face to face. His eyes looking right into your eyes. Think about that. Comprehend it. Imagine it for a minute. You are staring at God face to face, eye to eye, and he sees you as blameless. But, 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 but I thought I had to stop sinning. Yeah. If you're going to walk with the Lord, yeah, we're going to be uh, created a new creature in Christ under good works. Yeah, that's down the road, but that's not our salvation. He looks at us and sees it all. There's nothing hid from his eyes. And he sees us as blameless before him in love. Do you see? This grace is already there. What Paul is saying destroys man's thinking of religion. It destroys it. I don't believe predestination and choice is is a message for everybody, but for a people that believe in their works and in their own self-righteousness, this destroys them. And it was appropriate for these people. And in our culture, there's times when it's appropriate also to speak of the depth of God's love, of his grace. What else did he determine? Adoption. He predestinated us, verse 5, 
to adoption as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. When you think of adoption, what do you think of? Some kid in bad straits, could be a girl, a child. In their condition in life, really no hope. Generally, severity I don't want to even think about, abused, uncared for. And they're in that home or in that orphanage or whatever it is because nobody wants them. Unloved. When he talks about us in adoption, that's who we were. Dead. In trespasses and sins. Unloved. Unworthy of love. And yet, while we're yet sinners, God blessed us. Had mercy on us. And adopted us as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ. Did you do that? Did you say, hey God, come on, come on, adopt me. Come on, I've been to church faithfully now for five years. You got it, you, you have to adopt me. No. It was his plan before the beginning of the world that you would be a son and daughter of Jesus Christ. See what Paul is doing to, to trust in yourself? Do you see what we had to do with our getting into a relationship with God? How did I become a child of God? What do I have to do to become a child of God? You are already through faith. Believe him. The adoption in, in, in the language is fascinating. To be adopted is to be placed one as a son or daughter speaks of being placed in a position of a son or daughter who now possesses the same rights as the parent's natural child, Christ. This is how we have an inheritance in him. We're in the family. We're brothers and sisters of Christ, and we have all the rights afforded to him are ours. In Christ. We didn't adopt ourselves. He, through grace, put us in that position. It takes us right out of the picture, doesn't it? Paul, what must I do to be saved? Trust Christ. We only have to assume that Nicodemus had heard a lot more than what we're given. Or else what did he believe in? Some just, eh. I was teaching a chapel one day in a school and we had a lot of children from other churches. And at that time and other places, it was ask Jesus into your heart 
and you'll be saved. And I said to him, ask Jesus into your heart. What does that mean? If Jesus is in your heart, what? I don't understand. What happens? Well, I don't go to hell. Well, let's think about that. Why? Just because you asked? Is that the magic word? Is there something magical in asking Jesus into your heart? Let's teach the parrot to say, Jesus, come into my heart. No, it's, yeah, looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. It's believing, relying on trusting in the work of Christ, not a little phrase. Pray the prayer? Sure, pray the prayer. And if it's real, it's real. But just the work of praying the prayer doesn't do a thing. It's believing in the work of Christ. That makes a difference. Believing, trusting, relying in. My whole hope is in Him. What He has done for me. We have adoption. Adoption in Christ to God Himself. We're sons of God. And therefore have all the rights that are given to Christ. They're in God. To the praise, verse 6, to the praise of his glory, of his grace, which which he has favored us in Christ. That's what we're talking about when we talk about believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see how this is destroying the history of let's just say the religious work of the Ephesians, destroying them. Lovingly, kindly, graciously, but giving them the truth. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. You can't come to the Father but by Him. It's Him. Verse 7, in him through Jesus Christ we have redemption. That simple word redemption, a releasing. That release is effected or in the response to a payment, a ransom, a redemption fee to deliver us to liberty No more in bondage by the payment, by the ransom of another, the blood of Christ. How is it we are freed from the condemnation that is justly ours from our sins? The wages, the wages earned by sin is separation from God. There's a wage has to be paid to deliver us from that former life. You Ephesians, 
to deliver you from your rejection of God to your magic worship, to this debauchery that you were involved in. It has to be paid for. There's a recompense. And you are delivered, bought out of that, redeemed from that, not by yourselves, not by your good works, not by how many Hail Marys, but by the blood of Christ. He paid the price. He paid your and my price. We don't spend a lot of time on it, and I don't either, but there's the angelic conflict. We know there was rebellion in heaven by Satan, Beelzebub, against God. Basically, he thought he should have the place of Christ. And he led, as we're told in Scripture, a third of the angelic population with him in this rebellion. And what did God do? Separated. And right now they are waiting for the eternal life, uh, life in the fires of hell. It's their just reward for the rebellion against God. And it is a just reward for anybody who rebels against God. He hasn't offered them redemption. They're better than us. According to Scripture, they're much more beautiful than we are much more able than we are. There's no grace for them. But to us. Think about it. To us. What is man that you are mindful of him, Lord? What are we? Objects of grace. Object of mercy. We're that dirty little orphan with no hope but be adopted. That's us. Seated in Christ next to our Heavenly Father in the heavens. Grace. Grace. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Not me. <laughs> How many of you teach your children to say you're sorry? Oh, you just punched your brother in the nose. I'm sorry. Say you're sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, but his nose is still bleeding. What good did your sorry do? You see, if we're going to be sorry for something, we need to plan not to do it so we don't have to be sorry, so they don't have to <laughs> deal with the lump on their head or whatever it is. We can't get ourselves out of this. Oh, I'm sorry, God. I'll show you how sorry I am. I'm going to, and whatever you need to put in there, put it in there. It doesn't undo the wound. That doesn't undo the consequence of our action. He did it. He did it. I'll take the blame. I'll stand in your place. I'll go to the cross. And all your sins be laid on me. That's what he did. 
And in Christ, we become what we want to be, the righteousness of God. But it's in Christ. Does this mean we shouldn't try to be better? Well, absolutely. We as believers ought to try to emulate our Savior. We ought to want to be and try to be conformed to Christ as believers. That's what, what Paul says. What? Should we continue in sin that grace may abound? How ridiculous is to that thought? No. Do you remember the ten lepers? The parable of the ten lepers? Lord Jesus, heal us. Lord Jesus, heal us. And he healed them. And he said to them, go to the priest and show yourself to him. That was according to the law. But one of them was a Samaritan. The self-righteous Jew, okay, let's go to the priest. No thought of it. But the one who was undeserving turned and said, thank you. Thank you. When we see ourselves undeserving is when we begin to say thank you and show our thanksgiving. Demonstrate that we are truly thankful. See how important it is to spend time with the Lord? It puts things in perspective. Every so often, <laughs> we need to have the reset. You know, turn the computer off. <laughs> let's reset it and let's get on here. But this only comes by meditating in the Word of God, by study, by understanding. Even understanding the little bit of knowledge we have, if we spend it with Him, it will take us a long way. He paid the penalty for our sins according to the riches, the abundance of His grace. That's where Paul said, where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. His, we, we, we can't reach as believers the end of his grace. He has forgiven us our sins according to, looking at, and here's what he did, according to, it, it's this value over here, grace, that gives him the ability to forgive us. Not of works which we have done. I think every so often we have to, like Paul says, evaluate yourself. See if you're in the faith. I don't think that necessarily means that you're a Christian. I think it means that you've got this. Look at where you are. Look at what you're thinking. Get yourself reset as a believer. Are you in the faith? Not saved. Are you in the, the proper understanding and trusting of God? Trusting in Christ properly. Are you warped on some, you know, okay, if grace abounds, I can sin. Let me see. Jesus went to the cross, paid for my sins. Every sin I'll ever commit. It's paid for. I can do that. It's paid for. I mean, it's grace. He'll forgive me. You see how perverted our thinking become if we don't lean on him? 
looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, we can get doctrinally screwed up if we don't keep our focus on the grace of God and what His grace gives us. Now I think we understand a little bit about this letter and what he's talking about with these people. He has made known to us the mysteries of his will according to his good pleasure, down in verse 9, regarding his plan of the fullness of time to bring all things together in Christ, things in heaven, things in earth. In him also obtain an inheritance. We're in Christ. We're sitting right there at the throne. Everything that Christ will receive, we receive with him. To the end that we who first hoped in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. In him, verse 13, in him also. After, get that, listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. This is of his grace. Now when we talk about God's choosing, predestination, we have to pay attention to this. Verse 13, in him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise. If it's before the function of the world, then what in the world do I have to do with it? Here it is. You've heard it. You've understood it. And you believed it. But, but, Bible says I can't believe. No, it doesn't. never says that. Predestination never says you can't believe. Can we back that up? Adam and Eve were innocent. They were given one command, a choice to make. Obey that command or not command, or not obey it. One choice. From the beginning, God created man in the ability to make a choice. In innocence, in freedom, in no sin, they made a choice to go against God. It's a choice. Cain and Abel's offerings. What did God say to Cain? If you do what's right, won't your offering be accepted? Make a choice. Throughout the scripture, he said to Israel, choose you this day whom you're going to serve. Make the choice. God would be unjust to tell a person to believe if they couldn't. We can, you can believe. Now granted, there are some hard choices that we may not want to make. They're difficult. Especially when it comes to obeying the word of God. Some of the things that we have to deal with in our day-to-day life can be a hard choice. And we will choose to do according to God's word or we will choose to do according to the old man, the old flesh. 
choice. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Make that choice and you will be saved. This is the condemnation that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light. They're condemned. Why? Because they have not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. God would be unjust. He would be deceitful to tell us to believe if we couldn't. Stand in the front of God and say, well, you didn't choose me. See how far that goes. You were given the choice. And we're judged on the basis of that trust, of that choice. You heard it. You believed it. And now you have the Holy Spirit. It comes when we believe. This is what he's telling to the believers at Ephesus. Now you understand more down in verse 8 of chapter 2. For by grace you've been saved. He rounds it up. Here's the conclusion. By grace you've been saved. Not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works. All our bowing down to Artemis, the money we gave, the temple worship we were faithful to. No. It's grace. Grace that he's given us in Christ. For we were created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared that we should live in him. Paul makes it very clear. This conclusion of chapter 1 and 2, it's by grace you have been saved. When you go back and look at chapter 1 and 2, you begin to see what that grace involves. All of Christ. It's all of God. All of Him. We sing the hymn, well, we don't sing it here yet. We will. <laughs> Christ alone. Christ alone. God's grace to us through Christ alone. Spend time with him. With your God whose thoughts toward you are more than the hairs of your head. <laughs> the amazing thing, he knows absolutely everything about us. Every thought, every... <laughs> Doesn't that make you want to hide? Maybe. I guess experience will tell you, there are times we do not spend time with the Lord. Why? Don't want to face it. Don't want to face reality that's in me that he sees. But there's great relief to fess up. Lord, here I am. Here's where I'm at. Forgive me. And by faith, be forgiven. Pick it up. Walk in newness of life. Think of what David, in his faith in Christ, must have faced, must have felt. A murderer, adulterer, deceiver. Had to face his God. 
What must he have felt? He had rejected it so bad in himself that when Nathan came to him, he didn't even comprehend the story. Nathan finally said, it's you, David. You're this nasty rascal. It's you. Oh, I've sinned. That's what spending time alone with the Lord produces. And we find him gracious. Gracious. Loving us, willingly forgiving us in Christ. Think this thought. Christ paid all of our sin debt on the cross. It's done. But here's the reality. My sin that I may commit in the next hour will have to be paid for back there on the cross. Should I just cavalier unthinkingly say, ah, he paid for it. Every sin in my future, he has to pay for. As men and women of integrity, can we do that? Shouldn't that produce a carefulness in us? A thinkingness? An awareness of what we're doing? But I fear that in our society, there's no time for thinking. Got to go. Got to do. Busy. Kids are calling, work is calling, wife is calling, my dad, oh, I got to go, got to go, got to go, got to go, can't think. You all know the word amusement is a Latin word, ah, meaning non, muse, to think. Amusement, non-thinking, and that's where most people live today. Not thinking. Not thinking, but we're believers. We know the truth. Walk in it, live in it, believe it, and you'll be saved. Let's pray. Lord, help us. We are not sufficient in ourselves. It's your word. Therefore, help us to know it, believe it, Give us understanding of it that we might walk in a way pleasing to our God. Thank you for your word, for your love and grace that's poured out upon us in Christ. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Lord bless you.